1 Samuel chapter 3. You can find this on page 273 in the Church Bibles. The Lord calls Samuel. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling, as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons uttered blasphemies against God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son, Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. 
So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. This is the word of the Lord. The Gospel reading is uh, from St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, and you'll find it on page 1003, 1003 in your pew Bibles. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, we pray today that we would hear your voice and that you would speak to each one of us, that you would help us to listen to you. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Lovely day. Um, I'm going to just start off by um, giving a synopsis, really, of the first three chapters of Samuel. Um, I hope that's all right. Uh, Just to put the context into place, this um, story that we've heard of Samuel um, with Eli happens at a time around three and a half thousand years ago when the, the people of Israel were pretty much doing what they wanted to do. And they were ruled by judges. In some ways, Eli is seen as as one of the last judges, and they didn't have um, a clear ruler. And as Samuel goes on, it becomes clear that the people really wanted to have a monarch, and they wanted to have a king, and they wanted to be like all the other countries around and about, partly perhaps because of the kudos that goes with uh, having a king and an army, uh, being able to stake your claimed territory and that kind of thing. Um, But partly, 
I think, because they felt that that would give structure, a structure to how the country was run. It didn't seem to be working out very well under the judges. And so Samuel, in a sense, becomes the first prophet who finds that first king, although he doesn't altogether agree that there should be one. And even God um, appears hesitant. So it's a very exciting uh, story. And we're not going to deal with the subsequent chapters, you'll be pleased to know just yet. But you do go and read it. Um, so what's amazing, so Samuel's a really key person here, great Old Testament prophet three and a half thousand years ago, and yet he has very humble beginnings. And in the first chapter of Samuel, it opens in an ordinary house, just an ordinary place, in an ordinary time. And not very rich people, nobody special, nobody with a history, if you like, a man and his two wives, which wasn't unusual at that time, uh, perhaps actually this story suggests one reason why maybe it wasn't a good idea, but uh, he had two wives and Hannah had no children and his other wife, um, Penina, had several. And what, what it says, actually it's worth looking at, Samuel 1, as a teacher I have to say I find this very interesting. Um, if you look in the first chapter, Verse 6, um, so the other wife, her, Hannah's rival, the second part of that verse, it says, her rival kept provoking her, that's Hannah, in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. And so this other wife, was really bullying Hannah. That's, that's what I would define as bullying. It's something that goes on and on and on, and it doesn't stop. It, it went on for years, it says, and it had such a bad impact upon Hannah that it affected her health, and she couldn't eat. And sometimes I see that, rarely, thank goodness, but sometimes in, you know, we have to recognize it, that people's health can be affected by another person taking advantage of a weakness. In a way, I have to say, the husband didn't help things because what he did, what he, he favored Hannah and he gave her more food than he gave to his other wife. So in a sense, that explains why the other wife was, didn't like Hannah. It's a bit like trying to sort out my, new, my two cats, my old cat, now the new one's come, is jealous, you know? So, so this is a very, it's an ordinary house and there's something which we all recognize today going on there where one person is exploiting another person for understandable reasons and one person is very sad, very, very unhappy. And it is out of that pain and that unhappiness and that um, despair, really, that when she finds herself at the house of the Lord, they go every year, um, she's, she is crying. And in that point, in that depth, she cries out to God. So her despair, that is a challenge to her, and often pain, suffering, it does work like that for us. It makes us ask questions. It makes us ask, you know, why are things wrong in the world? Why are there injustices? It makes us ask those questions, and we don't have answers to those questions. And with a little bit of faith, we can call out to God. And that's what Hannah did. 
she exercised faith by calling out to God. And we know that in due course, God answered her. Whilst she was at the house of the Lord, Eli was there. Um, he couldn't see terribly well. We also know that he was a very large man, so perhaps he didn't get very much exercise because he couldn't see very well, or perhaps he was, he just liked eating like me. But uh, he saw her, and he saw her praying, but interestingly, he, he wasn't a great deal of comfort to her because he thought she was drunk. Can you imagine you pouring out your heart and a priest who you think might be able to help you says, well, you're drunk. You know, no, I'm not, you know. Um, so that's interesting. Now, these two stories now run in parallel. We find out about Eli. Eli has two sons, and they are also bullies. They are also exploiting the power that they have. Eli lives, as it were, in the house of the Lord. He has a long history. He's from uh, a priestly tradition, and his sons are priests after him. As priests, there's, they have various privileges, um, and the people, when they bring their gifts, they, the priests are allowed to take some. In fact, there was a tradition where when they cooked the offerings, the priests could dip a fork into the pot and just take what came out. But these guys thought, no, it's, we don't know what's going to come out when we do that. So they looked at the offerings before they went into the pot and took the leanest meat for themselves, which was wrong. They were exploiting the poor. So we have another injustice happening, and it was going on and on. And Eli was told about this, and he was told that his sons were just generally sleeping with who knows what, what uh, person, women, outside of the, of the um, house of the Lord. So... This wasn't very good either. And I get the impression from that that Eli had no control over his sons and possibly was bullied by them. It does happen. So when he sees Hannah and her family, there's possibly a connection there, I, I, I think, reading it in his mind. There's some uh, empathy, possibly. Uh, anyway, Hannah, he says to Hannah, your, your prayers will be answered. And they are. And she does have a, have a baby, Samuel. But she promises to give Samuel to God and take him when he's weaned, when he's about five years old, to the temple to give to Eli, which is an amazing thing for a woman to do, really. But that just goes to show how much she met with God when he answered her prayer. She really believed that. Her faith was um, completely um, vindicated, wasn't it? Her, her, her pouring out of her heart had come back in this child. And because she knew that the child was from God, she was able to, re to give him back to God. So she gave him to Eli when he was five. And every year she took him some new clothes as he grew, you know, size size one to two, size, no, five to six, size six to seven, size seven to eight, and so on. And then in chapter three, he's probably about 11 or 12, okay? So he's been there some time with Eli. And Eli now is referring to Samuel as my son. 
which is interesting. So he's obviously become very fond of Samuel. And, and that is where we're at in chapter three, okay? And that's what's happening when one night, towards the morning, because it says that the, um, the oil in the lamp had not yet run out, so towards the morning, Samuel hears his voice and he jumps up and he goes to Eli and he says, yes, 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 what is it? But Eli doesn't straight away understand that God is speaking to Samuel. And Samuel assumes that the voice he is hearing is from Eli. So we have an 11 or 12-year-old and uh, maybe a 90-year-old, um, both not quite initially sure whether what this is about. But it happens a third time, and that's interesting too when we think of the cock crowing three times and Peter being reinstated three times. And sometimes it takes that number of times for us to become familiar with something and to have confidence in what that is. So on the third time, he says to Sam Samuel, you know, stay where you are and say, um, speak Lord your servant is listening listening I, was, I didn't know that about obedience I didn't know that that's really interesting but listening is an active way of hearing listening is how do we discern as well what is God saying to us so when we're trying to understand together as a church how does how do we hear God's voice how do we listen to God's voice as well um, so that's what Samuel says. And God speaks to him and tells him that, well, it's game over for Eli, really, um, that uh, he repeats, if you look at chapter 3, um, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. It's chilling, almost, news. This is a boy who's hearing this. At that time, I will carry out against Eli, the person who's been looking after you these last five years, everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons uttered blasphemies against God, and he failed to restrain them. So God tells Samuel about the judgment that is going to come on Eli. And Samuel, remember, is 11 or 12. And he also, um, and that's what he tells him. And it just says that Samuel lay down till morning. It doesn't say he went back to sleep. And I can imagine, can't you, that after you'd heard that, you would find it difficult to sleep. And he must be wondering, well, what, what do I do with that? What does that mean? What was that about? And in the morning, Eli calls him and asks him to tell him what God says. Now, as I know children, in that situation, I promise you it would be very, very difficult for a child to say, I, I heard something bad's going to happen to you. It would be very difficult. And actually, uh, just to go off on a slight tangent, I was talking to my early years leader, Jane Rochford-Smith, who's about to be... Um, acting deputy when my deputy goes on maternity um, about when 
when it is that children start telling stories and lying to avoid um, facing the consequences, they become aware that there'll be a consequence, you know, if they say something. And, and they also learn that they can say something else. So I remembered famously that uh, when I was learning to write, I had a lovely oak uh, headboard on my bed, and I scratched in it my name, Susan, so I could write it. And I obviously completely graffitied and ruined this oak headboard on my, on my bed. And I remember my mother saying, um, making a mistake of saying, really, who did that? And I said, it was the cat. <laughs> and she said, no, the cat can't do that. And I said, yes, it can. And I think at that moment, I realized that if I just stuck to my story, the car, no one can do anything. And Jane uh, said to me, she said, well, she, she also, it was all coming out, you know, it's a time of confessions, really. But she said she'd been in the car with her brother when they were quite small. And it was at the time uh, when you had central locking, but you could lock the doors and, it, you know, the little things went down. And then if you hadn't got the key, it was in the car. You couldn't get into the car. Do you remember that? And uh, the, her dad parked the car and they decided to get out and they decided to put the little knobs down, shut the door and wait by the car. So the dad came back and said, what are you doing? And they said, oh, we thought we'd get out of the car. And he said, but the car's locked and the keys are in the car. And they said, it just did it by itself. <laughs> and he had to get the, um, the garage out. The whole day was ruined. And he kept saying, but how's it happen? We don't know. It just did it, you know, and they wouldn't tell the truth. And, and that is how it is. And the number of stories that I hear are just tantalizingly amazing. But what you have to do is to help a child not to be afraid to tell the truth. You have to help them. You sometimes have to help them by saying, hmm, I think maybe this happened. Uh, you see, you have to be quite clever. But it's really important, isn't it, that we do tell the truth. Telling the truth and being honest and truthful is part of us being able to hear God's voice, actually. If we're not honest and truthful, it puts, puts like thick fog in the way, and it makes us really hard to hear God speak. And the truth is often God speaking to us, often. That's how it is. So how can we help children to speak the truth? Interestingly, how Eli helps uh, Samuel to speak the truth. Um, he said, uh, sorry. What was it he said to you, verse 17? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So he's saying to Samuel, uh, it's like, this is a bit like threatening a curse, but he's talking about what God, you know, what will happen through God if he doesn't tell the truth. But whether it was because that's what Eli said to him or not, Samuel told this, this man in, his, in, in the last years of his life, this is what God told me, that your sons are going to die together on the same day, and so are you. Because you have let your sons, you know, run amok, basically. But... Eli was not cross with Samuel. 
When Samuel said that to Eli, it was as though Eli also heard God's voice speaking to him. And he recognized, I I suspect, that that was how it should be. It had all been wrong, and it had got to come to an end. And he says, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. So even at the end of this man's life, he recognizes the truth of God. What this boy who's arrived in his, in, in his world has brought to him after seeing his mother pray and mistakenly thinking she was drunk. He also, at that age, hears God in a new way. This is the beginning of a, a series on how we hear hear God, and I just thought from that we might think of um, how the, the various ways in which we do hear God speak to us, or we, we listen to God. Um, so the, the first one I think is obvious from this passage is that there are no age restrictions. So we can't assume that just because somebody is older than us, they know, though with wisdom, you know, I, I recognize that people who speak to me are, and, and I hear God are often older than me and wiser than me. But there are no age restrictions. And we can be surprised ourselves, I think, about who God chooses to speak to. We do need one another to hear what God is saying. There is this overlapping and intertwining of more than one story, Hannah's story, Eli's story, Samuel's story, and the others as well. We, we need one another to try and hear what God is saying to each one of us and for us to either think, yes, that, 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 to discern, to help to discern what God is saying. Sometimes it's like, I guess, like snowflakes falling around us, you know, God's word to us and what we hear. But sometimes there'll be something quite powerful that God may say to someone, you know, about putting a staircase in the middle of the floor here or something, I don't know, but something quite big. And that needs to be tested and discerned through one another, you know. And sometimes it may be God speaking and sometimes it may not, but we do need each other. God speaks to us through outsiders. Hannah and her husband were were not from this place. They were from far away. They were very ordinary. They weren't part of the priestly tradition. They were outsiders, but God still spoke to them. And God chose Samuel, this child of very ordinary people, to change the history of Israel, what would be Israel. It's lovely in 1 Samuel 3.19, it says that God let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. So that from this time, because of the way Samuel had been educated and because of God's hand on him, all the words that Samuel said were truthful. I think that's what that means. None of them fell to the ground. They were all precious. They were all important. I have um, a friend who works as a spiritual advisor, or does, takes time to be spiritual advisor to people. And he says that 
he thinks when he hears people talking to him, he wants to leave some little word with them, which the next day and the next day and the next day they'll remember. And he said he thinks of it a bit like, you know, the old milkman used to leave milk bottles on the step and it would be there the next day. Um, so it'd be something, one little thing of the meeting that will stay and be useful, you know, for, over a period of time. And sometimes I know that when people say something to me, um, a fellow Christian, there's sometimes moments when you know it's like that bottle of milk that's going to be very, very useful for a few days or weeks or months or years to come. God speaks through our recognizing injustice. Hannah recognized the injustice in, in Hannah's prayer, which you know, she looks at how the, um, she, she talks about how, about the, let's find it, Hannah's prayer in, verse, in chapter two. Verse seven, the Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sets them with princes and makes them inherit a throne of honor. God speaks often when we look at injustice because God doesn't, God wants us to find ways of setting prisoners free, of the poor not being poor. We know that, don't we? But it's often when we, when we grapple and tackle those issues that we hear God's voice. God speaks to us at night and in the early hours of the morning often when we're alone and when we're quiet, often in solitude. And we learn to discern God's voice slowly, step by step. Remember Nicodemus came by night to talk to Jesus. When we're away from the pressures and the constraints that we feel the rest of the world puts upon us, those are those special moments when in faith like Hannah, we can reach out and ask questions and allow ourselves time to hear God's voice. And God speaks to us through history three and a half thousand years ago, and through our histories, through the history of our church, through the history of just the last week. God speaks to us through that also, and through the parallels we see. And as I said, he speaks through truth. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that you speak to us and we pray you would help us to hear you and listen. Help us, Lord, to be ready to be surprised by your voice. Help us to encourage one another to hear your voice, the voice that calls us forth into all you have created us to be. Help us to help each other to tell the truth, even when the truth is hard to hear. In Jesus' name, amen.